Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. We're going to return to our series in the Gospel of Luke today, so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. It's been some time ago since we were in the Gospel of Luke, and um, actually Hunter preached the last message from this chapter, but um, he, uh, he didn't get real far into it, and uh, so we're just going to kind of go back and uh, uh, sort of bring some of that passage back in as well in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read uh, through verses 1 through 16 this morning in Luke chapter 10, and so if you have your uh, Bible open there and you're able, I want to invite you to stand with me as we read this uh, passage uh, together, Luke chapter 10, we'll begin reading with verse number 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest." Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, And they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, The very dust of your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And from this passage, I'll bring a message entitled, It's Harvest Time. Let's pray once again. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to enter your presence today in worship. Lord, thank you that you've invited us to enter into your presence. 
with thanksgiving and come before you and, uh, with, with praise. And so, Lord, we've come for that purpose today, and we continue in a spirit of worship and praise. And, Lord, as we open the Word of God together here in the Gospel of Luke, we thank you for this passage, and we thank you for, uh, Lord, its truth to our lives today. We thank you for the working of your Spirit today, who's inspired the Word of God, but who also indwells us as believers, as our teacher. And we wait upon you today, Father, and we look to you to, be a, to anoint uh, your messenger today, Lord to, uh, Lord, to give illumination to the hearer. Lord, we pray that you'll speak to hearts today, and Lord, you will change our lives to further conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we also pray today for those in our midst who, uh, who've heard the gospel. Uh, Lord, many have heard the gospel many times and yet have not responded to the gospel. Lord, there's a word here for them in this passage today, and I pray that you will quicken their hearts to cause them to recognize their need for Christ, to see their need to repent of sin, to see their responsibility not to harden their heart against you, God. So please, Lord, speak to hearts today and be glorified in our midst, Lord, as we seek to respond to you. Lord, even today, as we are going to celebrate together the Lord's Supper that you've given to us to be a reminder of your, your death, your burial, your resurrection, and the covenant, the new covenant in your blood that we have as your children, as your church. Lord, I pray that you will prepare us for that time, even today as we respond to the Spirit of God, that this will be a time of, of worship as well as recognition and reminder of your great love and your great sacrifice. And again, that we serve today a risen Savior who, who has uh, ascended and yet is also now through the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling our lives, Lord. Meet with us today, Father. Be glorified. Make your presence known today is our desire and prayer. And we love you and exalt you in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen. You may be seated. We're told that there is enough food in our world to feed one and a half times the world's population. And yet, one billion people in our world go to bed hungry every night. So obviously the problem is not supply. The problem is distribution. You know, the gospel is sufficient. The gospel, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ that, that he's given to us, that he's given us the, the privilege of, of hearing and, and now the responsibility of proclaiming is sufficient uh, to meet the world's spiritual need and hunger. Yet many ha yet have never heard the gospel. Jesus said in this passage, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Well, again, we have been out of the gospel of Luke for some time, and, but we, as we look back to our study of the book of Luke and the gospel of Luke, uh, much of Jesus' ministry had occurred in, in the region of Galilee, his home uh, region, if you will. And uh, he had, we saw back in the first part of chapter 9 that uh, the Lord Jesus had sent out the 12. And all of this was a process of, of his making disciples, of his equipping his disciples. And uh, one of, the, uh, one of the, the, the great studies is just to see how the Lord Jesus equipped his disciples for ministry to send them out, even preparing them and equipping them for the time that he would not be with them physically any longer. He would indwell them and empower them by his spirit, and he would send them forth. And he was preparing them ultimately for the Great Commission. 
And, uh, and so, uh, uh, so we see that in, 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 chapter, in chapter 9 as he sends out the 12th. Uh, but beginning in, in chapter 9, verse 51, a major shift occurs that continues through Luke chapter 18, verse 14, in which Jesus devotes his attention from the ministry here in Galilee and, and moves it toward Judea and, and really ultimately toward Jerusalem and toward his, his, uh, his death on the cross. And as Jesus moves across um, Judea and uh, Jerusalem, we see him here in this passage as he's sending out 70, or your, your translation may say 72, and of course we believe in the inerrancy of the original manuscripts, and obviously uh, we see there that, uh, that we don't have the original manuscript, and that's why there's some differences between uh, the, uh, the, the whether it's 70 or 72, depending on your translation and the manuscripts from which they were translated. But we see that he sends them out to prepare the way. He sends them to heal the sick, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan points out that, that the, uh, Jesus is sending them into the more neglected area of Perea. And uh, again, Jesus was very intentional, uh, led by the Father through all of his, his ministry, led by the Spirit. But Luke is the only gospel of the four gospels that gives to us this incident of the sending out of the seventy. In this passage, Jesus is using the metaphor, if you will, again, of the harvest. does so on more than one occasion, and we see that uh, in the gospel. Uh, John MacArthur says that the harvest could be defined as the mass humanity moving toward divine judgment and eternal hell. Uh, and again, some of those instructions that Jesus gives here to these 70 are, uh, are very specific to that specific, res- that specific assignment, that specific mission, but many the, the, uh, do apply, of course, directly to us. Some do not directly apply, but many do. The principles and the overall thrust of this passage certainly does apply to our work uh, in carrying the gospel and obeying the Great, the great Commission. And so, uh, uh, again, one of the important thrusts of this passage is that the gospel uh, is crucial because people will be eternally judged on their response to the gospel, on the basis of their response. And how true that is as well today as we carry the gospel uh, to, the end, to the end of the earth, to the end of time. So I want you to look at w- with me today at seven principles related to this passage uh, and relate, related to the work of the harvest and our responsibility to carry the gospel to the lost world all around us. So I want you to see several principles. First of all, notice, I believe Jesus is calling us to see the vastness and the urgency of the harvest. The vastness and the urgency of the harvest. Well, again, you may say, who are these these 70. Who are these 70? Who are these people that Jesus is sending out? We've seen the, we've seen the, the, um, the 12 disciples, uh, and we see his work with them, and now all of a sudden we see this number. Wow. And again, that is a reminder to us of the fact that, that Jesus and his disciples have been about this process already of evangelizing and of making disciples. People have responded uh, to the gospel. People have responded to the message. They have become disciples. And that reminds us that the moment we repent of our sin and place our faith and trust in Christ, we too become responsible for the gospel. We become responsible to take the gospel. It's not something, and and another word to us is that, that it's not just for the pastor's 
Uh, it is not just for the professional evangelist, if you will, that, that are to t- have this responsibility. Every one of us. In fact, the Scripture teaches us that we become stewards of this gospel message, that we're to take this gospel to the end of the earth. That is the Great Commission. And so again, immediately they become responsible. They've been equipped now. Perhaps they haven't, you know, they haven't been through training. Many people today use, uh, use the excuse, well, I just uh, I haven't had all this training. I haven't been to seminary. Well, if you've received the gospel and you know the gospel and you are responsible to be equipped and responsible for taking the gospel... Uh, But again, notice Jesus says the harvest truly is great. It's plentiful. Uh, Jesus was moved with compassion as he saw the the lostness. He saw the vastness of people who were without Christ, without the gospel. And, 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 And so Jesus sent them out two by two. You know, sometimes we, uh, uh, we may think, well, you know, for expediency, for uh, the, because of the vastness, wouldn't we do better if we just went out one by one? Well, again, this has a, this has a word for us as well, that it's, uh, it's an encouragement. Uh, and, and again, that's a principle that, that Jesus taught. Uh, he, he appointed his disciples that they might be with him. So that's a discipleship principle as well. But also, I can tell you, uh, I like to, I, as much as possible, these uh, folks around here that are available during the day, I called several this week, they, they can tell you, and said, can you go visiting with me? Can you go to the hospital with me? Can you uh, go make some visits with me? That's, a, that's an important principle. I don't, not because I won't go if they don't go, but uh, we need each other. We need to encourage one another. That's discipleship along the way. We can pray for one another. We hold one another accountable. And especially when you're sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to pray for one another. And, and uh, hey, sometimes we have to run interference for one another. We may have to take care of a crying baby while we're sharing the gospel with somebody. You never know what, what may come along the way. So that's an important uh, part of this ministry as well. Well, Jesus is calling us here as he's speaking to these, uh, these 70, uh, the importance of, of, our, uh, of the vastness of the harvest, that we see the vastness of the harvest. And one of the things that can even happen to us as believers is we can, we can begin to put blinders on. We can f- begin to f- forget about the lostness that is all around us, our lost family members, our lost neighbors, our lost co-workers, and, and we begin, can begin to not see the, their lostness. Do you know that an, an estimated 4.5 billion people in our world are lost, and on their way to hell, uh, thousands are going, uh, dying and going out into eternity without Christ in and, uh, every day. And again, um, of, the, of the over 11,000 people groups in our world, over 6,000 of those are unreached by the gospel. In fact, 1.7 billion people in our world live where there is no, no accessibility even to the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if any of you got to see the recent uh, movie, The Insanity of God, and, and, and even the book that goes along with that. And it'll, it'll help you to understand a little bit about the lostness of, the, of our lost world and people who are living in these places and seeking to share the gospel. Many who are enduring great persecution for, for the sake of the gospel, to carry the gospel uh, to these dark, dark places. That's our world. But what about right around us? We're, we're told that some 65 to 70 percent of our own county here, uh, and certainly I'm sure that would include Tipton County, are, are unchurched and unsaved. And so we too need to see the vastness, the vastness and the urgency of the lostness of people in our world. Jesus called his people, 
and calls us as he sent out these 70 to see the urgent need. But secondly, we, we also need to, uh, as we look at the, the lostness and the vastness of people without Christ, we need to pray for laborers for the work of the harvest. Again, in the latter part there, Jesus said, verse 2, the harvest truly is great or plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus immediately now, in, in preparing them to go out into this harvest, he says, pray for more laborers. And, and you know, this looks like a pretty good increase, doesn't it? From 12 to 70. Wow, that's a, that's a great increase. But these words, by the way, are almost identical to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 9. And, and, and it calls to us the, the reminder of the absolute essential of prayer. Again, as you study the book of Acts, see how often the early church prayed and prayed over and sought God in everything they did. Uh, and prayer, as someone said, is no substitute for work but it is a very vital part of the work. In fact, someone said prayer is the work, and we must pray. We must pray. Pray, and Jesus said pray for more laborers. Uh, and, and I want to just remind you, folks, that, that, that Jesus is uh, here calling the laborers to pray. He, he's, uh, he's, he's putting that upon them. Warren Wiersbe said, note that it is the laborers, not spectators, who pray for more laborers. Again, the, the, the need is urgent. Jesus said, pray that the Lord of the harvest, Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And, and he says, pray that the Lord would send. The word send here is the Greek word ekbalo, which means to thrust out and describing how urgent the need is for the harvest, the, the urgency because of the lostness of people and because of people's eternal destiny in a terrible real place called hell where they're headed for eternity. And so the need is great and we need to pray for more laborers. Pray for the laborers that they'll have a burden, that they'll have a boldness, that God will enable them to see the lostness. Because again, many do not see that. Many seem, even who profess the name of Christ, do not seem to see and understand their purpose personal responsibility. And, and again, we, we don't share this, these truths simply to, uh, to put another guilt trip on you. Uh, what, what a great privilege we have. The Bible refers to us as you're going to see, we're ambassadors of the king. What a great, not only responsibility, but what a great privilege to be able to take the gospel to a lost world and to have the joy of sharing that which will not only change their life, but will change the direction of their eternity. What a joy we have in doing that. So we need to pray for more laborers. You know, Dr. Gray Allison was with us several years ago, and I remember him asking the question, how many of you pray daily for laborers? And I couldn't raise my hand. I mean, I'm the pastor, and I wasn't able to raise my hand. I was convicted. And, uh, and, and because uh, he was saying, you know, if you're not praying for laborers, you're disobeying Jesus. Uh, we're called to, uh, Jesus calls us as well to pray for more laborers. I hope you're doing that. But I want to remind you again that, the, the, that it is laborers, not spectators, who will pray for more laborers. Pray for laborers. Number three, as we think about these principles of the harvest and our responsibility in taking the gospel to the lost world. Obey Jesus' command to go to the harvest. Obey Jesus' command to go to the harvest. Again, uh, Jesus then immediately moves in. Verse 3 says, Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. And literally this is, Be continuously going. 
A little different than Matthew 28, where Jesus in the Great Commission uh, says, uh, as you're going or having gone, it is that, that, that describing a lifestyle. Again, this is a specific mission that Jesus is sending them on, but he's describing again for us this principle of, of going and that it is, to, it is to be a lifestyle. Jesus warned them of the danger of their mission by saying, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. One writer said, no one has ever seen lambs among wolves. Lambs in wolves? Yes. Among wolves? No. You see, because uh, the, the, we know wolves are the enemy of lambs, right? Wolves love to see lambs. I mean, they love lambs, right? They love to eat lambs. They love to attack lambs. In fact, over there in Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus described what he saw, when he saw the lostness of people and was moved with compassion for them, he said they were like, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And, and the, the language he uses to describe them are, are sheep who have been attacked by wolves, who are bleeding and dying. Because one thing you know, there are a lot of things you can know about sheep. And by the way, that's how God has chosen to describe his people as sheep. We are sheep. Of course, the good news is he also sent a lamb, the Lord Jesus, who is the lamb of God, who was slain before the foundation of the world. The Lord Jesus was the lamb who was sacrificed for us uh, as his sheep. But lambs are defenseless. Sheep are defenseless. They can't defend themselves against wolves. So wolves are a picture of, of that which is, a, uh, is the enemy to the gospel. God's enemies, those who hate the gospel, those who would attack those who share the gospel. And I described just a moment ago about so many in our world today who are living in a, a world that is dangerous and in the sense of those who proclaim the gospel are dying for the sake of the gospel, just as they did in the early church and, and many today are. And, and yes, we may suffer various and will suffer various kinds of persecution in our own country, and we don't know what the future holds. But, but the, these are lambs, and, and they're, in, they're defenseless against these wolves. But Jesus is reminding us, first, that we're going into enemy territory, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, and he hates the gospel. He's also reminding us, as Richard, Richard says, uh, when, when we realize we are defenseless and how defenseless we are, we likely will truly depend on God. Only when we realize this, only when we realize we are, we are, we're defenseless and we have no power to fight against this enemy, are we going to depend on him. Scripture says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So we totally depend on the Lord. He's sending out us out as lambs among wolves. Then in, in, in verse 4, the latter part of verse 4, another word Jesus gives us about going into the harvest is to greet no one along the road. Now, now Jesus was not instructing them or us to be unfriendly, was he? But, but, but he was simply saying, don't get distracted. You see, the Eastern uh, greetings of that day were very uh, formal and very long and, and, and very involved. And so Jesus was simply saying, don't get distracted. My pastor used to say, it's kind of like when, you, you know, when you're, you're going out to uh, share the gospel and somebody comes along and, and they've got their bass boat behind them and they're ready to go fishing and they say, let's go fishing. And you, you think, man, I could go another time. You know, and so, uh, uh, but no, he, he's saying, don't get distracted. Go, 
Go with the gospel. And don't get distracted from your mission. Obey Jesus' command to go to the harvest. Are you obeying Jesus' command? Are you obeying the Great Commission? Jesus said, as you're going, make disciples. We are to go. We too are commissioned to go and to share the gospel. Are you obeying that command? Number four, trust God to provide everything needed for the work of the harvest. Again, Jesus gives them uh, some specific principles. He's in essence saying there in verse 4 when he talks about their money bag, their knapsack, they're not taking their sandals. He's in essence saying don't take a bunch of money, don't take a bunch of food, you don't need a lot of clothes, you don't even need another change of shoes. Uh, in other words, travel light. And, and, and he's, uh, he's, he's uh, giving them more instructions in verse 7 as he describes about entering into this home and, and staying there. Basically, he's saying, be content. Uh, don't be looking for better accommodations. Uh, you know, I'm amused sometimes when I get these letters from, from people in ministry when they want to come and want to visit. And they'll say, we will come for this amount of money. We will come, but we, we, uh, we need this kind of accommodation. Well, Jesus is saying, you go and you just, uh, you be content. You take what's, you eat what's put in front of you. My, my grandfather lived by that and he expected us to live that way too. And that's why he said, why he said, eat whatever's put in front of you and uh, don't complain about it. So I, I never could relate to, uh, to people who, who said, I don't like things. I never had that opportunity to make that kind of statement. Well, this fits right in. And uh, Jesus said, eat what's put before you and be content. And, and again, that's a word to us just about life. The fact that we're on mission. And again, that we are to be content with what God has provided for us. And that we, we need to realize, that again, as, as we saw in last week's message, that we are pilgrims, or a week before. We are strangers. We are aliens. We are, this, is, uh, this is not really our home. We're, we're, uh, we're ambassadors of the King. We're passing through. And we need to see this world in that way and travel light in that way. And we, too, need to trust God to provide our needs. That doesn't mean we shouldn't work. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be diligent. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be good stewards of what God has provided for us. Absolutely, all those things are true. But we still recognize that God is the one who's our, who meets our needs. And he's promised to meet our needs. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It also, I think, says, it has a word to us as Scripture teaches, that we too are, are to support those who are on mission. We have uh, the opportunity as a church right now uh, to, to be sending out folks on, on, the, on the trip to, to Indonesia uh, in the month of November, and, and we need to be obedient. Thank you for your obedience and following the prompting of the Spirit and giving uh, to send forth fo folks as, as, uh, as we see the early church doing as well, and, and we're called to do. Trust God to provide everything uh, needed for the work of the harvest, and including, of course, and, and uh, most important of all, the power of the Holy Spirit. He enables us, he gives us the power of his spirit to enable us to do the work that he's commissioned us and commanded us to do. And then number five, show compassion for the needs of the people in the harvest. Again, we see in, in verse um, nine, it says, and, and, and Jesus said, and heal the sick there and, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. So, so Jesus uh, saying to them, uh, do, uh, do what's needed and, and minister to the needs. Now, again, this is where we're not called as the church in our commission. Jesus didn't commission us to heal the sick. He commissioned us to make disciples, to, sh to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. But Jesus does call us to minister to needs. And in, and in doing this, you know, it reminds us Jesus did not 
come and say to people when they saw that he had the power to heal, he didn't say, well, I didn't come to do that. Jesus cared about the needs of people, and, and, uh, and we should as well. Jesus met those needs, and healing the sick, casting out demons, uh, we see is something that they did, something the 12 did, and, uh, and they affirmed Jesus' deity. And, uh, and again, they also, as these, these who went out, these 70, it also showed the connection that Jesus had with, or they had with the Lord Jesus. And, he, and he'd given them the authority. He'd given them his power, just as he'd given us his authority to go and make disciples, to proclaim the gospel. We go in his name. We go with his power. We go in his authority to proclaim the gospel. We too are connected with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to carry his compassion and demonstrate his compassion to people. Jesus was never moved by things. Jesus wasn't moved by buildings. Jesus wasn't moved by circumstances. Jesus was always moved by people. And we should be moved by what moves the Lord Jesus. The Bible says in, 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 in Matthew uh, chapter 9, it said that, that Jesus, as Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Good time to ask the question, what, what moves you today? What really moves you? What really, what really breaks your heart? You know, we're all concerned about our country. Certainly, certainly we are. Are you more concerned today about the lostness of our nation or the economic situation, or the political situation. There's a lot to be concerned about in our country. But the greatest need of our nation is its need for Christ, is its need for the gospel. And what moved the Lord Jesus was people, people who are going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell, most of them in hell. That is what should move us today as we think about the lost world, people who are harassed and helpless like sheep, without a shepherd because they were sheep without a shepherd. The Lord Jesus is the shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd who's come. And we have the opportunity to share the gospel. Hudson Taylor, the story's told about Hudson Taylor, who's missionary to China. He was traveling from one city to another by boat, and he had with him on that boat a man named Peter he'd been sharing the gospel with. And, and Peter had rejected the gospel, but it, was, it seemed to him that, he was, that, the, the word, that the Spirit of God was dealing with him, that he was, uh, that, that, that he was under conviction. And, and, and on that boat that day, this, Peter fell overboard into the water. And, and Hudson Taylor looked around for someone to help, and no one helped, and he jumped into the water and immediately began to try to find him because he disappeared in the water. And so as he, as he looked for him and looked for him, he couldn't find him, and he finally came up. No one was offering to help. He saw another fishing boat nearby, and he summons them for help, and they, they wouldn't come until, he, until he, he offered to give them everything that he had, all the money that he had. Finally, they came and threw their net in, and very quickly they they found the body of Peter, but it was too late. You see, they were so concerned about, about their fishing, and they were concerned about their circumstances. They didn't want to go to the trouble, and, and that sounds terrible to us, but I want to ask you today, how concerned are you for your neighbors? How concerned are you for where your neighbors are going to spend eternity? 
Are you concerned about the lostness of your family members without Christ? Do you really care about, uh, about uh, the, those, num- those numbers that I mentioned earlier that represent people who are going to spend eternity? Folks, do we really believe there is a hell? Do we really believe that it's forever? Do we really believe what the Bible says and what Jesus said, which he said more about hell than, than, any, other sub- than any of these other subjects? Jesus had much to say about that. Do we really do we believe that, that it is a real place, that it's forever, that it's a place of torment? And are we really concerned about people enough to carry the gospel message to them, show compassion? And many times, my ministering of that need, we have the opportunity through that also to proclaim the gospel to them. But that leads me to number six, proclaim the gospel to the people in the harvest. Jesus told them here in in verse five, he says, but whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. Now, Jesus is, uh, is sending them, first of all, with a message of, of peace. And, uh, you know, the Hebrew greeting was shalom. And, uh, but this is more than merely say, greeting them with a shalom, or as we would say in the South, shalom, y'all. Uh, it's more than that. It, it, it's, uh, it's actually the message of the gospel of peace. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a present presentation of the gospel of peace that comes through the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as, as, in chap- as, in, as the twelve were sent out, Luke 9, 6 says, And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And this term, man of peace or son of peace, literally, uh, speaks to someone who is characterized by Peace. In other words, they are receptive to the gospel. That is still a, a principle today, again, that is very important. Uh, many today are coming to recognize that, that these persons of peace, these sons of peace, these people characterized by receptivity to the gospel are, are the key as they go into a community, into a, into a village or into a neighborhood to share the gospel. Look for that person that is receptive to the gospel. And many times that can be the key. And we've, we've sought to do the same thing as we've sought to minister, especially in the, in, the, in the Pleasant Ridge area and sought to share the gospel. We have people there that we would classify as people of peace because of their receptivity to the gospel. They most often either will soon respond or certainly eventually will respond to the gospel in, re- in, in responding to in repentance and faith and trust in Christ as Lord. And the Bible says this person, if they're receptive to the gospel message, your peace or literally God's peace will rest on him and, and they, they will respond to the message of the gospel. But then, then in verse 9, what does he say further that they are to say that the kingdom of God has come near you. The kingdom of God, of course, is the rule of God, the rule of the, of the King of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the hearts and lives of people. And so the kingdom of God had come near because Jesus had come near. And Jesus, they were, remember that he'd sent them out to prepare the way, like John the Baptist, to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. We have that same ministry. As we go to share the gospel, we are preparing the way for the Lord Jesus to enter their heart, for for Him to take up rule in their lives, for Him to set up His kingdom in their hearts and lives. We have the responsibility to do the same, to let them know that the kingdom of God has come near 
to them? Are you proclaiming the kingdom? Are you proclaiming the gospel? Again, do you see your responsibility today in proclaiming the message of the gospel? We're studying a little book right now in our, uh, our Iron Men on Monday morning. I want to invite you men, if you can. I know many of you will be at work at this time, but if you're available at, uh, at 8 a.m., we have our prayer time, and then we are studying a little book called What is the Gospel? You may uh, be surprised. Many people, even who claim to know Christ, can't really... Tell what the gospel is. Do you know the gospel? If someone asked you right now, came up to you and said, what is the gospel? Could you tell them? You see, we have that responsibility. If we're going to share the gospel, we should know what it is, right? We should be prepared to do that. And so again, I want to challenge you that you have that responsibility. You're a steward of the gospel. You have the responsibility. Uh, we sort of have a, 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 a quick little uh, outline of it to kind of help us remember uh, the uh, G, of course, for God, that God is uh, the creator of this universe, and, and he's created us, and, and we are therefore accountable to him as, as, uh, uh, as uh, creations of his. We are accountable, and everyone one day will stand before him and give an account to him. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's the creator. The M could stand for man. Man, what did man do? Well, back in the garden, man sinned against God. And, 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 uh, and that's where sin came. It came uh, into the world through man. And, and the Bible says now that that sin, Romans 5, 12, has passed to every man because we've all sinned, all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God and therefore are separated from God and therefore We'll spend eternity separated from God in a terrible place called hell. That's the M. And you need to understand that about all people. The C stands for Christ. Because that's what Christ came to do. Jesus, who is fully God, fully human, fully man, came. And, and, and the Bible says that he, uh, that, that he demonstrated his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. We sang about that this morning. Jesus is alive. He is the Savior. He is Lord. He is God. He's the only way to salvation. There's no other name, the Bible says, under heaven by which we must be saved. The Lord Jesus is Lord. He is Savior. And then the R, very important part, is response. You see, you could know all those other things, and many people do. Many people know those things about Jesus, but they've never responded. How do we respond? Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Paul said in, in Acts chapter 20, 20 and 21, he said, I went everywhere and I proclaimed this message to everyone, to the, to the Jew and to the, to the Greek. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Our response to the gospel is to repent or turn from our sin and to place our faith and trust in Christ, surrendering to Him to the, as Lord of our lives. Do you know the gospel? Can you proclaim the gospel? Jesus is alive. He's Lord. He's here. Have you responded to Him? Has there been that time in your life that you responded from your, in repentance and faith to the gospel, to the Lord Jesus Christ and to His gospel message? Well, that leads me number seven and finally to warn those who reject the gospel of the eternal consequences of their rejection. You see the Lord Jesus beginning there in, in, in verse 10, he told them that those who, who didn't receive you, 
He said, go out into their streets and say, uh, we wipe this, the dust off against you. Uh, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. So Jesus said, even to those cities who reject the, the gospel message, and in, and in verse 16, he says, he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. He who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So the Lord Jesus said, there are consequences. There are eternal consequences to your rejection. And then beginning there, and he even used the illustration, uh, he, he said, and, and the, the city, he said that uh, verse 12, I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Now, everybody knew about Sodom. Everybody today knows about Sodom, don't they? I, I mean, you know, this was the, the wicked, wicked city that God had to destroy because, because, of, the, uh, because of its wickedness. And there weren't, uh, there weren't enough even for the Lord to spare that city. He took uh, Lot and his family, Lot and his, uh, his, uh, his wife and daughters out, and even his wife turned uh, against the Lord on the way, but 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 God brought them to destruction. He said, even these uh, who reject me and reject your message, reject my message of the gospel, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom than for that city. The judgment. Wow, what a shock that must have been to the hearers that heard the Lord Jesus that day would hear that that they would imagine that the judgment against that rejecter of of the gospel would even. Because again, the Lord Jesus, the kingdom of God has come near you. The king of kings has come with a message of the gospel that if you repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in him, you can be saved forevermore. And so Jesus was reminding them of, of the, that they must let this, these people know of the consequences of the rejection of the gospel. And dear friends, some would hear that today and think that harsh and think, wow, well, what a terrible thing for you to say. And uh, yeah, that's my problem with you. You're, you're, so, uh, you're all uh, hellfire and damnation. Remember, they started off with the gospel of peace. They first went sharing the gospel message. But this is not a matter of, of threatening them. This is a matter of loving them enough to tell them the truth, the truth of the consequences and that there is a hell to shun, and that it's eternal, and it's separation from God, and warning them. The, the, the latter part there in verses 13 to 16, he uses some other cities that he describes, and, and, and the, he, Jesus is indicating here that these individuals, these cities, these nations who've had the privilege of hearing the gospel and have received greater light will be held to a greater judgment. And verses 13 and 15, he gives these specific cities which had rejected him, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in, in sackcloth and ashes. Again, these other, these other uh, wicked cities who turned their back on God, again, familiar to the people of that day. But, but what, what did these people do in, in, in Chorazin and, and Bethsaida. And then he, then he uses verse 15, Capernaum. Capernaum was, was the headquarters of the Lord Jesus. It's where Jesus went to set up, if you will, his, his ministry. So were they, did these people run him out of town? Did they ridicule him or mock him? No, in fact, there's no record of his hostility or persecution or mockery or ridicule toward Jesus. Then what did they do? Nothing. Nothing. You see, they were merely indifferent toward Jesus. They were indifferent toward Jesus. And folks, if there's ever a word that I would say would describe the United States of America, 
If there's a word today that would describe the Southeast, that would describe Tennessee, that would describe Memphis, that would describe Millington, that would describe the Lucy community, it's that word, indifference. Walk out the door here. Do you know Jesus? Have you heard the gospel? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did that a long time ago. Oh, yeah. My name's on the roll there. Oh, yeah, I've been baptized. Oh, yeah, everything's good. In fact, I go to church pretty often. Indifference. Indifference. And dear friend, the Bible says those who hear the gospel and reject it and who are indifferent as were these cities will be held to a greater judgment. The Lord Jesus is saying this to say to them, to say to this world, to this crowd, to whom they're going, listen, do not harden your heart. As the writer of Hebrews says, harden not your heart. Do not harden your heart against the Lord. Don't say no. Don't say no. Don't say no. You see, friend, if you say no to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you hear the gospel and you continue to harden your heart, the Bible says that you knowingly are, are, are trotting underfoot the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're treating lightly the sacrifice of Christ that the Lord Jesus made possible for you by becoming sin for you, by receiving our sin in His body on that cross. You're treating that lightly. You're treating that as if it's unimportant. Oh, dear friend, I would warn you today, as the Lord Jesus said, do not harden your heart against Him. Don't treat lightly what the Lord Jesus has done. McDonald said, men should not trifle with the gospel because it may be withdrawn forever. Light rejected is light denied. I warn you today, the Lord Jesus warns you, do not harden your heart. Don't treat lightly the gospel and the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed. After the saving the Samaritan woman, Jesus said to his disciples in John 4.35, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the, that the fields are white for harvest. When Martin Luther had come to recognize the truth of Romans, the message of the gospel, that, the, that it is through repentance and faith in Christ and Christ alone that we can be saved, he became burdened to take this gospel to the world. He had a friend, also a, a, a former monk, who had come to this same realization and faith and the same burden. And the two agreed that Martin would go into the world with the gospel and that he would stay back and pray for Martin as he went. But one night that friend had a dream. He had a dream. And in that dream he saw a man in a huge harvest field. A harvest, a field that was, that was ripe and ready for harvesting. And he saw one man in that dream, that a one man who was, who was reaping that harvest all alone. And he realized that one man was his friend, Martin Luther. He awoke from that dream and he said, Father, I'll go. I'll go too. I'll pray, but I'll also go. And God has called us to do the same, dear friend, to be a part of that answer for prayer that we would 
that we would pray for more laborers to go into the harvest because the harvest is vast. The lostness of people headed for eternal hell without Christ. And and God's given us the responsibility and the privilege to take the gospel to this harvest. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.